Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio, a nonprofit program to disseminate helpful information to those in life sciences, and in particular drug development. And this, of course, always includes patient advocacy communities. I'm Kate Woda, producer of today's show and director of the annual Patients as Partners program at the Conference Forum. For more information on event listings and radio listings, please visit www.theconferenceforum.org. Today's show features a talk previously delivered by Beth Zaharoff, Director of Patient-Focused Clinical Trial Engagement at Tesaro, at the 5th Annual Patients as Partners 2018 program. Ms. Zaharoff shared how Tesaro integrates patients in the clinical development process, demonstrated the impact, and provided examples on how Tesaro gained internal support, solicited patient input to design a trial, and how Tesaro continues to work to eliminate some of the burdens inherent in clinical trial participation. There are things that, having gone to a lot of these conferences, as I'm sure all of you have as well, I've heard about a lot from people. And first of all, you know, getting internal support is always a really challenging thing. Getting buy-in, there there are objections that we probably have all heard in our our lives, those of us who work in pharma. Um, How we go about getting patient input. When I first started going to conferences like this, however many years ago, I was talking about this earlier today. It was all talk about, as an industry, it was a lot of finger-wagging. You know, we should be doing this, we should be doing this, we should be doing this. But there wasn't a lot of concrete explanation or suggestion or guidance for how actually do we go about doing it and where do we start. And just as a little background, that, for me, that really was not acceptable and it just bugged me, and we decided that we wanted to be a company that just kind of dove in the deep end, and we'll make mistakes, but we'll hopefully correct them, and then we can go and we can talk about what we do, so if it's helpful to other companies and other people and other clinical trial participants out there, all the better. So starting with what I talked about before, getting buy-in from the top. Not an easy thing. And I loved this slide because it talks about a number of things that are really important. Kind of focusing on the, the emotion behind all of this, which every one of us in the room, I'll guarantee, can relate to. Talking about leadership support, hugely important. So there are hurdles. We all know that changing culture in an organization should, is a very challenging thing. For those of us in the, the, for those of you who aren't in the pharma industry, I'm sure that you can attest to the fact that, uh, this is no surprise, pharma industry has a pretty poor reputation that we kind of, we came to honestly, unfortunately, we did it ourselves. And having to gain that trust back is really, really important. And it's hard, and it takes a lot of effort but we all know that we need to do it. Again, preaching to the choir. So first of all, why is the change important? We need to make sure that we can pass that message along to the people that sit in the fancy offices uh, in in our companies. Talk about shifting resources. One of the things that I've heard a lot is it's really expensive. So this is something that we're not able to do at our company. And I can tell you, and I will shortly, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Again, I work for a smallish company, and that was my reason for giving you that little intro about who Tesaro is at the beginning. And we're not 
a Pfizer or an Amgen, and we haven't reached out to, our pockets are certainly not that deep, and we haven't reached out to vendors to help us with a lot of these things that I'm going to talk about. We've been able to do it ourselves. So those are things that are important to work out. That you have to want to make the change, and so it's all of up, it's up to all of us to explain why it is that we want to do this. So what do we say? Company mission. I will pretty much bet that everyone in this room who works in the industry, no matter what disease state you're working in, you say, we're, we're all here for the patients. I've worked at a number of companies. Everyone has said that. And I can tell you <laughs> that not everybody walked that walk. Everybody talks the talk. And it becomes, you know, like the, that Charlie Brown, you know, wah, wah, wah. That's what it becomes. We're here for the patients. So we need to show and we need to challenge, again, the people who sit in the fancy offices and say, well, we say that we do this. We say that this is our mission. How do we show that this is actually our mission? Money. So it all boils down to money. You know, no matter what, in pharma, we're, we're there to make money. So we can show that... If we bring patients into the development of our clinical trials, it can increase retention in our clinical trials, and perhaps it can increase enrollment. And as we continue to do this, we can have the metrics to show how that works. The government, obviously, is, is showing that this is important to them with PDUFA 5, the FDA, and their multi-year project to bring people and advocates in to talk about what it's like to live with certain diseases and mark my words, it's not going to be that long before when we, from pharma, present a package to the FDA, they're going to say, well, how did you involve patients in the development of this work? So I think it's something that we're going to need to do. So we need to get on the bandwagon now, which we all know we're going to do it. Now, when I was a kid and I wanted to ask my parents for something, I would certainly say, you know, all the other kids are doing it. My kids have said it, your kids have said it, everybody says it. When I was presenting kind of a job change to the people who were above me, I went through uh, a couple of the conference uh, uh, attendees that I had gone to to show that at all these companies, there were people whose job it was to concentrate on patient centricity and patient focus. So I showed that all the other kids are doing it, we need to get on the bandwagon. I'm fortunate to work at a company where there wasn't a lot of convincing that was needed, but that was something that worked really well for me. And the bottom line is, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, who would ever paraphrase Martin Luther King? But it's always the right time to do the right thing. So we need to listen to people who know, are the experts, as I think someone said that before. And I, I love the analogy of equating the work that we do to the goods and services industry. And that's something where they go to their, uh, to their clients, to their customers all the time. Our, the telephones that we use, the iPhone, the Android, they've gone to people and asked, you know, what do you think about this, that, or the other thing? The car industry, they do that. The toy industry, as I'll show you in a minute, does that very thing. So it's the same, and we think about it. So why doesn't the why don't does the doesn't the pharma industry do that? Why wouldn't we go to 
people who actually know what it's like to live with a particular disease before we finalize a clinical trial. Because I'm sure most of us know an amendment costs a tremendous amount of money. So if we start from the very beginning asking people who know what it's like to live with a disease, does this make sense to you? Is our inclusion criteria, does that seem accurate? Look at the schedule of events. Um, does it seem reasonable for someone that has X, Y, or Z disease to be able to come to all of these appointments? Are we asking that you have too many biopsies? We learned in one of our studies, um, it, it happened to be a lung cancer study. We heard over and over and over again that lung biopsies are, are, are very, very unappealing. That's kind of like a big duh, right? And so we ended up cutting out some of the lung biopsies from the studies that we were doing. And it's something that the people sitting around the table, really smart scientists, and we've got very good intentions, and want to get as much data as we possibly can. That's understandable, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. But, as, but if we bring people in who yeah, understand that, yes, we have science that we need to get answers to, we bring people in who say, yes, but perhaps you're not thinking about X, Y, or Z. We can think about our clinical trials in a little bit different way. So I love this example from Fisher-Price. And some of you may remember, and I've used this example before, the movie Big. It was with Tom Hanks, and he just he goes to one of those um, fortune-telling machines at a carnival, and he puts the money in, and he just says, I wish I was big. That was the 13-year-old. Uh, Tom Hanks, and he wakes up the next morning, and he's a grown-up, and uh, he goes to the job that he gets is for a toy company, and he, his role is to test the toys before they're developed, and he finds all these things that, you know, his, as a 13-year-old kid inside a grown-up's body, he would, never, he would never play with because it's really silly, and this is real. Fisher-Price does this. They consult, as they say, with the experts. They have kids who come and they play with the toys, and they have parents who go and sit in a room and play with the toys and watch the kids play with the toys, and that informs how Fisher-Price does their business, the toys that they develop, why they develop them, and what they end up doing is just troubleshooting the problems that would have developed had they not gone to these kids. And again, it would have amounted in dollars or cents because they would have made X, Y, or Z toy and nobody would have bought it or very few people would have bought it because of the problems that they troubleshooted. Troubleshooted, troubleshot, that they got rid of uh, at the beginning. And I believe it was uh, Stephanie this morning in her really fabulous talk I read an article about her, too, actually, just as an FYI, and I think I read it in the New York Times however many years ago, and it was so uh, striking and poignant to me, so I don't think she's in the room right now, but go read the article and find it. It was really very good. But she used the word empathy, and that's it's kind of my word of the year. I think the, the world as a whole needs more empathy, but uh, certainly in the business of what we're all doing, it can be as simple as, for in clinicaltrials.gov, it's got, it's got you know, a name at the bottom for somebody to contact. 
we used to have our MD there, an MD's name there, and then we found that a lot of people get intimidated to call a physician at the, at, and, and wouldn't want to ask questions. So we put my name there. I'm kind of a nobody, and I, have, I don't have any uh, initials like that after my name. So I do get all kinds of calls, and I get emails from people, but the thing that has shocked me more than anything about that are the number of people that say, I can't believe you called me back. And it's something as simple as that. Empathy, it's something as simple as Stephanie was talking about before, this is her life, and getting medical records out the door quickly because she's relying on them. So it's things that touches, touch each one of us in our, in our daily lives. Uh, I keep a picture on my desk of my best friend in the world for over 30 years who had ovarian cancer. And my company does work in that area. So I keep her picture on my desk as a constant reminder every day for what, why, why I'm doing what I do. And not, not everybody has something like that, but my guess is everybody's got somebody that they know or themselves that has a disease that it, you can remember what you're doing there. And I, again, I remember having, I'm, I'm digressing just a, a bit, but I remember that there was a woman who was in one of our clinical trials who had a concern about a charge. I believe it was for CAT scans. And she, she called and she called and she called and she called. And there was one day where I was on my last good nerve. And I just, I was, I'd had enough. And that picture made me think, how would I want someone on the other end of the phone to respond to my friend Jan if she were calling about this? And it made a, it made a difference for me. I kind of snapped out of it and got over myself. And this is something that I, I like to talk about a lot and give people a, a suggestion. So anyway, just to very quickly, at, at Tesoro, we started with uh, focus groups. We did way back when. We wanted to make some changes to become more patient-centric. And so the first thing we wanted to do was find out, well, what's it like for people who participate in clinical trials? What's the experience like? So we partnered with a number of advocacy organizations, and if you've never worked with advocacy organizations before, they're made up of the most incredible, beautiful people whose hearts are all, are, are mostly in the right place. So we partnered with them and said, this is what we want to do. We didn't know the, the, the patients, but they do. So these organizations then went to their constituents and said this is, that they, this is a company that wants to meet with people who have at one point participated in a clinical trial. It didn't matter which one. So we did that. We learned a lot of things. We made some changes in the way that we do things with our clinical trials as a result, which I'll talk about later. And one of the things then that it evolved to was then figuring out how we were going to get input into the development of our clinical trials. Again, we went back to advocacy and we told them about the clinical trial that we were piloting with this project. They reached out to some of their constituents and we gave them kind of a guideline. This is the type of person that we think would be a good reviewer, someone who wasn't 
shy about giving their opinion, uh, who could be critical about a clinical trial, who maybe could understand a little bit about what the protocol was about. So we got these people an early draft of the protocol and they reviewed it. And then we sent them this, you know, we sent them a letter like this and that we're considering you to be the experts in the, in the disease. And this is why we're asking you this. Something that was very important for us to say because, you know, anybody that works in, in, a, in a, an industry knows that, you know, you've got your, uh, your company goals. So there were, we said to them, all, 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 we won't be able to make every change that you're recommending to us, but what we can promise is that we will seriously consider every comment that you give to us, which we did, and we have the medical team uh, review them. And then we went back to this group of people after the fact to let them know what we did change as a result of their input. So these are some of the things that we asked people. You know, we basically wanted to know the inclusion and exclusion criteria. Do these things look reasonable to you? Does it look like we're missing anything um, in, in what we've written that maybe will uh, eliminate people that perhaps shouldn't be eliminated? The schedule of events, I had mentioned this before. Does this seem reasonable? Are we asking things that would not be out of the question for someone who has, and, and again, I believe in this first protocol, it was a lung cancer protocol. So is this something that would be out of the question for someone um, who actually has lung cancer? Are there any requirements that would be concerning to you if you were going to participate in this clinical trial? Would you recommend this clinical trial to someone you know, uh, know and love? Um, what about the study design might keep someone from wanting to participate in this study? What concerns might someone have uh, if they were going to participate in this study? And then tools. So one of the things that we learned from those focus groups that I had mentioned to you before is you know, and this is this is again another big duh that consent forms and the and the thing that we heard so often, consent forms are written for the lawyers. Well, you know, they're horrible. You know, they're twenty five pages and they're complicated and and all of those things. So what we decided to do was we give everyone uh, in a, a, at their first study visit we asked that they get a folder, and in that folder is first of all a thank you for participating, and this is why it's so important to participate in clinical trials that our chief medical officer signs. That came from the fact that we heard that people, the people at least that we spoke with, didn't feel appreciated for all of their efforts in the clinical trial. That's there. We have an easy to understand, kind of down and dirty, single page description of what the study is. And we also have a schedule of events in an easy bulleted fashion. So at, at your first study visit, these are the things that will be done. Blood draw, blood draw, MRI, CT, physical exam. And it should take about this long. And we hope that that would make it so that people didn't have to go to page you know, 15 to find out what was happening at, at that particular study visit. Another thing that we did, because we found out that 
a lot of times, unless if people went to their physician, unless they saw, uh, in this case it was oncology, if they saw an oncology social worker, they didn't always know that there were advocacy organizations that were out there and available to support them if they wanted it. So we had brochures in there from advocacy organizations that were relevant. Again, you know, we went to the advocacy organizations, asked them if they would allow us to do it, and without exception, as you can well imagine, they were thrilled to have us do that, and we were thrilled to do that too. So some of those tools we also gave to these patients to say, we think that we got this single-page summary down to a level that is easy for someone to understand, but let us know. So we got fabulous feedback. This was the first time the one, one of them that I thought was so poignant is this one in green. You know, that here I have kids and you're asking me to go to all of these appointments. I can't possibly do that. And this is for the screening period. This, this uh, changed the protocol, actually, that the, um, the medical director and the clinical scientist and the study team realized that what we were asking was, was too much and consolidated some of these visits, which, you know, which, was, which I was really happy about. One of the things that came up earlier this morning is burdens. Again, in our discussion with uh, people who had participated in clinical trials, and also uh, we have gone to a number of hospitals in underserved areas to talk about how can we be better at sponsoring clinical trials that will allow the opportunity for patients who wouldn't ordinarily have the opportunity to participate. How can we eliminate some of those burdens? And one of the things that we heard most often was transportation, that that's such a difficult thing. So uh, Jim, I believe is his name, who spoke earlier was saying something about uh, Lyft. We're working, on, uh, we're working on something like that right now, where we are uh, just in the process of, of working with an organization that we're hoping this will come to fruition, where we'll be able to offer rides to our patients who are participating in these clinical trials to and from. I will say that we've tried this before, uh, once before, and it was a lot more challenging than I thought, which I can talk about another time. But getting people to their appointments, if you need, if you need to fly them, paying for parking. For those of us who work in industry, we wouldn't have jobs were it not for the people who, I'd say selflessly, and I'm not sure that that's really the right word, but help us bring important medicines to people who need them. So again, patient support. This is what I was talking about uh, before, these folders that we give to people. One of the things that we're working on now to include in that is kind of a housekeeping thing. And we've heard this a lot from people. Something as simple as, what's the Wi-Fi password here? Where's the bathroom? Where should I park? If I want a snack, where should I go? So we're working on this right now, and we're going to ask for partnership with the research sites that we use to fill in those blanks. So people feel welcome and, uh, you know, a little bit more human when they're coming in to participate in a clinical trial. We're working on newsletters to give to patients so that they know how the trial is going. A lot of things we can't, you know, a lot of things we have to keep close to the vest. But I think if I were in a clinical trial, I would want to know, well, how many people, how many people are you enrolling in the trial? What other research sites 
are you, uh, are you using? Where in the country is this happening? So things along that line. And we're working with our legal counsel to, to do that. Um, and also uh, care partners who are so incredibly important. We're working right now on putting together materials for care partners that can explain about the clinical trial. So that's one of my, uh, one of my big projects for this year that, quite frankly, I'm very excited about. And showing appreciation, I, I, this again, it, it was loud and clear to us when we did the focus groups. I mentioned that we have that letter at the first patient visit. At the last study visit, there is also a letter thanking people for having participated that our um, ClinOps VP has signed. And um, we, are, we ask people, we give them an opportunity to fill out a five-question survey with a self-addressed stamped envelope that we really want to know what their opinion was and what their thoughts were. And so thank you very much. I've yammered on for a long time. Uh, if you have any questions, I'm, again, here all day, happy to answer any questions, share anything that we've done. Again, like I said, we just dove in the deep end without any blueprint, and I'm happy to share anything with anyone who would like to maybe start a little further along and learn from mistakes that we made. So thank you. The annual Patients as Partners program is the only conference in the U.S. that demonstrates how to involve patients throughout the entire medicine's development life cycle to drive greater efficiencies in clinical research. The 2019 program will be taking place March 11th through 12th in Philadelphia. For more information, visit www.theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.